Hi, welcome Adam to Uniquely Issaquah. I'm really excited to have you here today and tell your story about Fortunato Chocolate. Hey, thank, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, pretty awesome that you're a mayor who does a podcast. I don't know <laughs> what the precedent is. But there's a lot of mayors doing podcasts out there in the world, but t- um, hats off to you. That's a pretty good thing. Thank like you. you said, Great, great little studio here, too, that Tim put together. Very fun, very yeah. fun. So Uniquely Squad is the show that we do where we love to tell great stories to the community. And I'm new to your story, and I am very excited. So let's start at the beginning. Okay. Um, so just I'm Adam Pearson. I'm one of the owners of Fortunato Chocolate. If you want to find us, we're over in Issaquah Commons uh, near REI, BECU, Massage MV, Just Poke. And then we also have a factory shop over by Top Pot Donuts and the Gas Lamp which is an open kitchen that you can go in and check out. Um, I own the business along with my brother, Brian, who also lives here in Issaquah, and my dad, Dan, who's in San Diego. We buy cocoa beans in Peru. We've been doing business in Peru for going on 20 years now. Both my brother and I have proven wise. By the way, feel free to cut in here. Absolutely. All right, uh, I'm just going to launch right into it. So, um, yeah, we've been doing business in Peru for 20 years. The, a lot of people ask us how we got into the chocolate business in the first place and why we're in Issaquah, which are both valid, very, very valid, legitimate. By the way, we're questions. really glad you're in thank Issaquah. You, thank you. Well, we were, you know, we were chatting a little bit before we got onto the podcast. Um, my brother, Brian, you were mentioning you're an, in, you're an engineering type, but you're also the mayor. So uh, my brother, Brian, is also an, also an engineering type, and he's the one who, who is meticulous and focuses on all the little small details, which we'll get into some of them, that are required for making delicious chocolate. We all eat chocolate. We don't really necessarily know where it comes from and what it takes to make chocolate very good so uh we're proud we're, we're proud of the chocolate that we serve um in, in our shops at fortunato chocolate we've been we've been doing it for 15 years now wow. even though the shop uh the new shop's only been open five months and the first shop's only been open for a year and we'll get into all that happened um how, how all that happened so my dad dan is a serial entrepreneur my dad comes from a family of entrepreneurs his father passed away when he, when my dad was only four years old so my dad grew up without a father, and he was raised by strong women. And that's, uh, that's where he, he attributes a lot of his strength to the fact that his mother and all of his aunts were such strong people. Aww. And they all lived through the Depression. So uh, he's, the, he's the generation after the people who lived through the Great Depression. Early In the early 2000s, this would be like 2003, my dad went to Peru to see if he could sell this mine uh, air filter cleaners which they did not want. So they did, not, <laughs> they did nine months of research and stuff, and it, it, went, out the, it went out the window. But the head of the maintenance department did want um, a new supplier of hydraulic hoses and nuts and bolts. Caterpillar had the, was, the only, was the only supplier, mm-hmm. and everybody knew they were jacking up the prices, so they wanted to see if somebody would come in and compete against Caterpillar. And my dad being, we call him the ri- riverboat gambler. So my dad being the river, <laughs> riverboat gambler says, yeah, we'll do that. So um, <laughs> you know, my, he gets my poor brother down there to manage this project where we're importing hydraulic hoses and nuts and bolts into Peru from the United States to sell to sell to this gold mine. So we did that for three years, and um, it was terrible. Caterpillar <laughs> was just killing us. Yeah. And even though our prices were forty percent less expensive, um, we were just we we just got killed for three. We had a three-year contract, and we just we just got killed. And so after three years, we we made money, but we weren't able to grow the business. Right. So we made some money, uh, but we weren't able to grow the business. 
during this time, this three years while we're working there, I got kicked out of college, and I and my dad said, "You're basically you're spoiled." I I, I know you had some <laughs> hard times as a teenager, but we all went through hard times. I understand that you think your life is hard, but you're basically as we said, you're spoiled. You got to go see something <laughs> else. You got to go see how other people live. Yeah, because I was he, he I. I was, an, I was an average student. I ended up doing all right on the SATs. I got into college. He was paying for me to go to this private school, and it was really nice. It was University of Redlands. And he said, you're going to this private school. You got room and board paid for, but you're, you're, you're just you're screwing up. Like, how could it be? <laughs> so I was, I'm those 20 at that time. And he said, yeah, you got to go see how other people live. So um, the way that the, the mining business was set up is we were selling the stuff to a local business who would then sell it to the mine. Anyways, it got us tax credits. And one of the one of the local partners we had was a uh, an auto it was a a, a a garage it was an auto mechanic and they did maintenance they did maintenance on the pickup trucks for the mine so my dad got me this job working as an auto mechanic <laughs> <laughs> that was a crazy story but in my, Peru yeah in Peru mm -hmm. in this in the city of Cajamarca he got me this job working as an auto mechanic making a hundred dollars a month he, he he set it up with a guy that I had to make the local minimum wage <laughs> and so while I was there I met my wife um, and got married. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, so I met my wife eight months later, got married, and now she lives here in Isco with me. And if you come into Fortune Alchapi, you can meet her. How was your Spanish? Perfect. It's perfect. So when I met my wife, <laughs> she spoke like a little bit of English, and yeah. I spoke a little bit of Spanish, but I spoke a little bit more Spanish than she could speak English. So we've always spoken Spanish in our house. Oh, and so I our love three that. sons, Isaiah, Daniel, and Levi, 10, 7, and 4. Spanish is their first is all their first language. That's awesome. Because we speak Spanish in their house. And just one I'll just say quickly one thing I love about Issaquah. It's such an international community. Mm -hmm. So it's cool. We get a lot of Spanish speakers coming into the store. Uh, but anyways, there's people from all over the world. So um, so I got I went there. I lived there. I got married. Mary moved back to the United States with me um, with the idea that we were going to move back down to Peru after I graduated college and go work for this mining business. Um, but in the interim, the business ended. They decided to exit the business. And then they tried a series of new businesses that didn't pan out. Uh, they tried to export trout. So, so this is yeah. your father and this brother? This is my father and brother. Yep. Yeah, so um, I came back to college, so I wasn't involved. And during that time, the three years was up. Uh, they looked at their opportunities, and basically what they concluded was, if we have an advantage in this world now, it's that we were English-speaking Americans. With connections to the U.S., who, yeah. Yeah, but, and, and we know how to do business in Peru. So we're, we're Americans, but we know about Peru now. Because they were managing logistics, because... The, the hydraulic hoses and the nuts and bolts would come into the port of Lima, which is the capital, but it's sort of central. And we were, my brother was managing the entire operation of bringing imported goods through customs in Peru and transporting them up into the Andes Mountains, which is like an 18-hour bus ride or truck, truck ride. And so he knew, he knew logistics. So we, we, they kind of concluded that that was their competitive advantage in the world. So they decided to stay in Peru. So one thing they looked into was trying to buy trout Somehow they came across this big trout farm and my dad knew somebody who knew somebody um, who was a fish buyer in China. <laughs> so they were gonna try to buy trout. Um, the name of the city is Huanuco. It's, it's, it's east of Lima, but it's central Peru. Um, and they, they had a buyer for the trout and it all, they were gonna flash freeze the trout and export it to China, but at the last minute it fell apart. And then my brother tried to pursue um, a project growing ethanol so around this time in the United States, they had a tax credit mm -hmm. because they were trying to mix mix uh, petroleum fuel with ethanol. A little bit nicer fuel. Yeah, yeah. a little bit nicer fuel. And they were going to use corn, but it turned out that mm -hmm. if you would use sugar cane, 
um, it would be even cheaper, but you can't grow sugar cane in most of the United States. Uh, so he was going to put together, he's going to try to put together this project growing ethanol. In northern Peru, there's long stretches of coastal desert, which is highly fertile land, but it never rains. But some of that land has um, what's groundwater. So he was going to try to find land with groundwater and pump it up to the surface and grow sugarcane. But too many people had that idea and they were under, they were, they were selling ethanol much, much cheaper than what it could be produced in the United States. And so the, right, right when they were going to break ground on that project, the tax credit got revoked. <laughs> so we couldn't do that. Um, so my brother, during that time, by the way, got married um, to a Peruvian woman who we met, met working at the mine. And so he was a man in Peru with no job, um, trying to find a business to work on. He started teaching English. And then through a really, all of this is a wild series of events, but through, again, just a wild series of events, um, we ended up finding that the cafeteria at the gold mine was trying to, wanted to buy uh, produce for the cafeteria. And uh, Cajamarca, where we, the city, is also the name of the state. So in Peru, they have states, like how we had states here in the United States. And so Cajamarca is both the capital city and the name of the department or the state. Mm -hmm. It's mostly mountainous, but up in the corner, like up in the very remote corner of that state next to a river, which is the border of the state, there's like this little pocket of jungle. And the cafeteria wanted to buy, wanted to buy their produce within the department because they thought that that would be uh, this is good politics. But nobody in that mountain town really wanted to go out to that jungle because they considered it to be, I don't know, the sticks, ba backwater. And also that area had a reputation for organized crime mm -hmm. <laughs> and mafia activity. Um, so the, the cafeteria was having a really hard time. Or Actually, it was a big French company that was running the cafeteria called Sodexo. Um, they were having a, far, a hard time finding somebody to venture out to that part of the, of the department to, to buy produce and ship it back to the cafeteria. And so my brother Brian and my dad heard that and they decided to go visit that region and they liked it. They were swept away by oh, it. They wow. thought it was really interesting and it's hot and active and it's an agricultural town. And, um, but while they were out there looking at, looking at bananas, uh, because banana, that's what, one of the things they were going to buy was bananas. Bananas are shade trees for cacao. So cocoa bean, cacao is the main ingredient in chocolate. So, um, Cacao doesn't like direct sunlight. It likes shade. So they're out there looking at bananas and stuff, and they kept seeing cacao pods. We knew nothing. I mean, we knew nothing about chocolate, cacao. We didn't know it. Like, they didn't know anything about it. They just saw these really – have you seen a cacao pod before? No. So um, a cacao pod is like – looks like a football, and it has ridges around it, and it's, like, it's got a husk that kind of reminds you of a pumpkin. If you cut it open on the, in, on, on the inside – there's these seeds in there. They're covered in a sugary white gel. It's the sugariness of the gel that allows you to ferment cacao. Um, and then fermentation is what makes chocolate taste like chocolate because otherwise cacao doesn't taste like chocolate. So um, Brian and my dad decided that Brian was going to move out there and learn more about cacao. And basically what, what, we, what we discovered, what we learned, is that in order for, for you to make really good chocolate, really good tasting chocolate, not, not the industrial candy bars that you might buy at the grocery store that you can buy for 99 cents, but really delicious, deeply delicious chocolate. You have to do the fermentation and, and, and the fermentation and the drying of the cacao in a certain way. Uh, but 
because of the very low world market prices that most cacao farmers receive for their cacao, and this is, this is, this is true of a lot of agricultural products. This is where you get things like fair trade, for example, right. or, or equal exchange or whatever. Um, because of the very low world commodity prices that these, that these subsi the subsistence farmers, it's poor out there. Right. Um, there's no incentive for them. There's no incentive for, incentive for them, and they don't have the capital to do the fermenting and drying in such a way that it would to improve it, the product yeah, yeah, to that, yeah, that it would really be luxury like, level. Yeah, so even like they could go through all the work of doing it correctly, mm -hmm. but they, they, they're not in the supply chain that would lead to them. Get, this, this particular region was not in the supply chain that would lead to them getting better prices. Right. It's, it's, it's a remote area east of the, of the northern Andes Mountains. This is, it's, it's really remote. So they're just selling their cacao to international cacao buyers, and it ends up in whatever, you know, Hershey's Kisses or whatever, right? Um, so we started looking into it. My brother started learning about how you ferment and dry cacao correctly. Um, we decided, he decided to, to build a processing facility um, in, this, in this really remote canyon. <laughs> uh, and the reason, so the reason we ended up choosing this one remote canyon out of, out of all of the places we could have set up shop in, 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 this, in this region, and the name of the city that we were outside of is called Hyann, um, was one day my dad got really interested in trying to understand how you could test cacao genetics. Because, you know, like wine grapes, there's, there's a bunch of different varieties of, of cocoa beans. And we wanted to be able to tell people what the variety was, you know, what the genetic variety was. So he started doing research and he found that the places you could do that in the United States, the main entity that does that in the United States is the USDA. So, and there's two labs, one's in Miami and one's in Beltsville, Maryland. So he just cold called Miami first and no one answered. And then he cold called Beltsville, Maryland and the lead geneticist answered the phone over there because his secretary was on vacation. <laughs> and my dad got to chat and this guy's from Iowa, he's an old, old Midwestern boy. And uh, so he and my dad got along because my dad's originally from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And the guy agreed to, um, to help us do genetic testing on our cocoa beans. So this is before we built, Brian built the facility out in the, in, in the canyon, but it's around the same time. Um, so basically the way that you do genetic testing on cacao is you take leaves, you vacuum seal them, and then you FedEx them to hmm. the lab and they do the DNA testing on the leaves. So we did that, and, it, and when the results came back, they told us that Brian, the, the samples that Brian sent uh, were a variety that was thought to be extinct. Oh my gosh, it was thought, how exciting. It was, thought, it was thought to have been wiped out by disease in the early 1900s. And we think it's because this, this particular canyon where we're still buying, we've been buying cacao in this little, in this little um, cacao growing region for 15 years now. Um, there's a river, there's a thick river that runs in front of it, and it's surrounded on all sides by like tall jungle mountains. And the way that the geneticist described it to us is midges that pollinate cacao trees uh, can't go across a river and they can't go over the mountain. <laughs> so you just have this, this remote isolated canyon where this cacao was growing and no one really ever knew about it. So the, the variety of cacao that we discovered was one of the really sought after varieties of cacao. It was thought to only grow in Ecuador. It was thought to have been wiped out by disease in the early 1900s. Um, and, and here it is and in here, this and valley. And here it is. So <laughs> my brother uh, built a processing facility out in the jungle where we could buy this special variety of cacao and do the fermenting and drying ourselves. And uh, in 2011, so in, in 2010, we started making chocolate 
and we decided to have our chocolate made by this old Swiss chocolate making company called Max Falkland that's been around for 120 years. So they've been making our chocolate since we got started. Um, so in two thousand so yeah, so we started this whole cacao journey in 2007. It wasn't until 2010 that we we actually had chocolate made. So we made our so we three years we're just funding this whole thing off of our savings. And then in 2010, we made our first sell, sell to a Swiss baker who <laughs> was <laughs> around the Swiss chocolate making factory. In 2011, we, we made an announcement in the New York Times that we had chocolate with this rediscovered variety of cocoa beans. By the way, we voluntarily pay 10 times fair trade premiums to these mm -hmm. cacao farmers. So fair trade is $120 per ton um, over the world market prices. We, we pay 10 times that. So we're helping a lot of subsistence wow. farmers um, do better. So, um, starting in 2011, we started wholesaling our chocolate to, uh, it was never available to the public for a really long time. We started wholesaling our chocolate to, to, to high-end restaurants and chocolatiers. Um, and over the course of the net, the, you know, the following nine years, we ended up selling chocolate in about 40 countries. So uh -huh. we, we built up a significant wholesale business selling chocolate to, to fancy restaurants. Um, in 2019, after 10 or 11 years of, of living in the jungle full time. So my brother was living in Cajamarca, but going out to the jungle every two weeks. He had a newborn daughter who he left behind. So my brother has sacrificed a lot. Mm -hmm. um, going out and overseeing our cacao buying operation and our fermenting and drying operation, which he still does to this day. He goes back and forth from Issaquah to Peru, um, making sure that the cacao is fermented in such a way that it comes out really delicious. So. Um, in 2013, we were on Parts Unknown with Anthony Bourdain. Oh, yeah. So if you ever go back and watch the Peru episode, that's, that's all about us um, and my brother. And, uh, oh, and the name of our company, Fortunato. Um, Fortunato's a person. He's a, he's a proving cacao farmer. It was on his farm that, so we took hundreds of samples in that canyon. It was on his farm that they found the purest expression of this one type of cocoa bean ever found on record which is called Nacional. The name of the variety is called Nacional. And in particular, it was the fourth sample out of 20 on his farm that is considered to be like maybe the, like the genetic origin of this variety of cocoa bean. And so our chocolate is called Fortunato Number no. 4. We've cloned that particular tree thousands of times. We, we mm. operate a clone garden um, out, out in, this, in this canyon. So we clone these trees, and then if farmers want to come into our project, they can... They can take clones, plant the trees. It takes two or three years uh, for a tree to start putting off fruit. And then that's how we're able to grow the business by more and more people planting out this variety of cacao on their farms. All right, so um, we, from 2011 until 2020, our business is growing. We're, we're selling wholesale to restaurants and chocolatiers in 40 countries. It was great. It was straightforward. <laughs> you know, it became a good business. We never knew the people who were eating our chocolate. Basically, <laughs> a UPS truck pulls up. We put a bunch of boxes on there, and then they drive away. And as long as we keep getting purchase orders, we assume that everybody's happy. And we're, we're selling to, like, really swanky, fancy restaurants. Um, but when the pandemic hit and restaurants started to get shut down, it all started, like, this is 2020. Um, it, all, it all started to fall apart on us. And we're, like, we're buying cacao from 500 families, and they're depending on us for their income. And uh, we didn't have a way to sell the chocolate. It, everything started wow. to implode on us. So we, we, it was just on a shot in the dark. I, I went online and took a course on how to do e-commerce, how to set up an e-commerce business. Your family's hilarious. Yeah, and how to, um, <laughs> and how to do Facebook, how to, how to do advertising on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I took a course. We hired a website designer to build a, an e-commerce shop for us at the beginning of 2020. 
I started running Facebook and Instagram ads. And uh, just in a matter of a couple of months, we, we built an e-commerce business. Wow. That just totally took off. It was, it was really lucky. Wow. I mean, it really worked out well. And that was the first time we ever knew our customers, the first time we ever sold chocolate directly to the public. Uh, people started leaving reviews online. We I'm telling you, we would put the boxes on a UPS truck, it would drive away, and we would never hear about it. We just assumed people liked it. But they didn't even know what chocolate they were eating. I mean, they hey. just knew that they ordered a, a chocolate mousse or a tiramisu, and it tasted really good. And it happened to be our chocolate. Um, but now you do. So, so now, so... That was the first time we had ever interacted with customers directly, uh -huh. and we really liked it. Yeah. We really, really liked it. And so we, we, we rented a place here in Issaquah over in the Cascade is it, no. Cascade Business Park. It's not Cascade Business Park. It's over by, over by where Top Pot Donuts is. Yeah, uh, Rowley Business Center. It's, Rally, it's Rally, yeah. yeah. Rowley's the landlord over there. We just rented an office, um, and we, we, we rented a warehouse to store our chocolate. And then when people would buy the chocolate, we would bring the, the chocolate from our warehouse over to this little office in Raleigh. And we set up a little shipping station. We hired some employees and they just started shipping chocolate out of this little office um, to, to tens of thousands of customers all over the country. It saved our business. We would have gone out of business. Certainly, if it wasn't for that e-commerce pivot, we, we, the whole thing would have ended because we... We just, we, we, our restaurant business totally, totally died. You know, one thing you said just cracked me right up is you talked about it being lucky. And my head is spinning about how often your family has pivoted from one idea to another. It doesn't feel lucky to me. It feels like you guys are unbeatable. <laughs> like nothing can take you down because you're just going to pivot to the next idea. Yeah. Uh, although I, I, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, my dad, so I, I, at the very beginning, I was talking about my dad's dad who died when he was four. Um, he was a restaurateur, and it was Midwest. He owned these diners. There, my dad, my, my biological grandfather's name is Victor Wick, and he owned these restaurants called uh, Vic's Diners, and he was, he was famous for pies. He would um. sell pies. Um, and so... I don't know. I, 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 Maybe I, there's something in the genetics I, I, about I, I, seeing your customers yeah, enjoy. Yeah. I, think, I, I, I think we have found the thing that, that we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, 2020, we started doing the e-commerce. The only problem is you can't ship chocolate during the summer. So we had to lay off. We had to furlough our employees oh. um, two summers in a row in 2020 and 2021. And um, I didn't want to furlough. This is, so now this is where I came in. So I didn't want to furlough our employees again. And so I, I talked to my dad and my brother and I said, I want to, I was, so I want to, so we need to open up a shop yep. so we can keep selling chocolate during the summer. Cause we only had two employees. We had two employees who were doing all this fulfillment for us. And then we were doing it, you know, we were involved too. Um, and they thought that was really, they thought that was a bad idea. <laughs> they thought it was a really <laughs> bad idea. Um, but I just, I don't know. I really, I think in our blood, in our blood because of who my biological grandfather is, I think, we're sort of meant to be these Midwest style food people. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I, I just think that's who we are. And I, so I just ha had this vision of people in Issaquah, people in the community being able to come into our chocolate shop. And I, it was my idea to give, so we give away free hot chocolate. We give away yeah. free frozen bananas dipped in chocolate. I just really wanted to do that. I just really had this, this concept of being a place where people could just kind of come in and drink hot chocolate and eat samples and just hang around. Like you would do if you went into a to, to eat a slice of pie yeah. in Fort Wayne, Indiana. <laughs> that, that's that's what I was thinking. Like, 
what if we could do a pie place but with chocolate but here in Issaquah and then people in Issaquah could come hang out and I could have my kids work in the shop and my wife would be hanging around and Brian and his kid could come in and it would just be yeah, it would be like a, like a Fort Wayne pie place. In this Your block. face really lights yeah, up yeah, when so. you talk about it. I I think you're right. This this is you. Yeah, this is so, your family. Well, you know, I'm trying to fight back tears too. If I, <laughs> I, 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 I can easily choke up a little bit. So oh. um, so November 2000, I guess it's November 2021. It's barely a year ago. We opened up our first shop, which is over by the, yeah over by the gas lamp bar and grill. Yeah. Um, when we opened up that shop, so for the lo- for the longest time, all we ever sold to restaurants were 1.1 pound blocks of chocolate. That, and then they would buy it and they'd melt it down and they'd make stuff with it. When we put up our e-commerce site, we went online with just two milk chocolates and one dark chocolate. And they, what you could buy was a 1.1 pound block of chocolate. That's, that's those were the only products we had for more than a decade, just these huge bricks of chocolate. The good thing is we were wholesalers, mm-hmm. so we could sell it at a wholesale price. That, that, that you, so you can get this, this world-class chocolate for the same price ounce per ounce as like a three or four dollar bar of chocolate in the grocery store which people around here buy you know you buy that all day every day so it's a fair price but it's a world-class chocolate with this whole backstory and you're doing good for these cacao farmers and stuff so uh, in november 2021 we opened up our shop and it was just a, an empty a big empty room <laughs> <laughs> with a counter and um and stacks of these 1.1 pound blocks of chocolate <laughs> that's, that's our whole offering when we opened up in november of 2021 um the, 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 the gal, the woman who worked for us doing fulfillment, her name's Rosa Valencia. Great, great person, super hard worker. Um, her husband, Javier Valencia, who's our chocolatier, who you can go see right now if you go into, <laughs> if you go into the shop over by the he's gas there. Right, he's in there, it's an open <laughs> kitchen, and we got, a, we got a whole team in there now. Um, he's been, a, he's been a, a cook and a chef for 20 years, and he, had, he had recently had a business making wedding cakes. And... His, you know, Rosa mentioned to, to, to him that we were opening up this little shop and he said, hey, if, if they need any help, if they, if they need someone to come make some products for them, I'll, I would like to. I, you know, I'd, be, I'd be interested in stopping whatever I'm doing and doing that. And I said, when we said, yeah, come, come in. So we, we bought some metal tables. <laughs> we just bought like some really rudimentary, rudimentary machines. And um, Javier has created f- 40 or 50 products. All, wow. of the, all of the products in our shop right now have nothing to do with me or my dad or my brother. They're all from the mind of Javier. Wow. And uh, so he started making products and from November 2021 till now, we have, we have morphed into whatever we are now. Um, but it's, a, it's an ongoing story. So, and then in July of 2022, we, we, ha- we have filled up the first space with kitchen equipment. And also it's kind of an off the beaten path area mm-hmm. um in 2000 uh, july 2022 we opened up a second shop here in issaquah which is uh, like the, it's in the issaquah commons yeah and um that's regular storefront just a regular storefront but still we hope that that people are getting that midwest um pie diner vibe <laughs> when they go in there so i'll you know, free hot chocolate all kinds of samples and then just every day it seems like new products that that javier's making and then some of the products that javier invented for the shop created for the shop we're also starting to put online yeah and oh and yeah and we have at least the concept of our e-commerce store is that it should also replicate the shop so we're trying to put as many of our new products online as we can and then also i send out a daily email so i write an email every single day just about whatever the business is up to um we have about fifty thousand subscribers oh my to, goodness. The, to that d- daily newsletter 
So if anybody wants to follow along with the story, they can go to fortunatochocolate.com and there's a pop-up where you can subscribe. So the story's it. not over yet is what no, you're telling well, me. It's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, so, all right. So that's a, that's a good question, a very insightful question. Um, I guess, you know, one thing we, that, I've, that I think we're learning, and, and, and there's books about this, like Malcolm Gladwell wrote the, the 10,000 hour rule. Yep. I think it takes 10 years or 15 yeah. years before you even actually get good at what it is you're trying to be good at. So be patient. Yeah, so be patient. And I think, at least for us, that it took it took us 15 years just to get to the thing we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Which is now. Which is really, if, if my biological grandfather wouldn't have passed away, probably what we would, we would have inherited Vic's Diners. Oh, we'd yeah. Be in the diner You'd business. definitely be in Vic's we'd Diners. We'd be in the diners business. So it took us 15 years to kind of, actually it took my dad a lifetime, you know, um, for us to all sort of, I think, work our way back. Mm-hmm. to what, what we naturally should be doing anyways. Adam, it's such a great story. Yeah. I mean, for me as the mayor of Issaquah, the one thing I love about, you know, I came here in 1993 for two years, <laughs> never left, um, is these small businesses, is these amazing ideas that grow organically into a profitable business. And it's unique. You know, it is it is a one-off. We're so fortunate that we have you in two different locations in Issaquah and that you have such a great story, but also an open door that you are, um, you know, can go in and see products being made and you can also go have a great experience in your store. Well, and, and Issaquah is an all-time great place to be a small business mm-hmm. owner and to open up a unique a, a unique little business because uh, the people of Issaquah are, um, you know, I could tear, I could tear, probably tear up talking about this right now too, um, have been amazingly supportive. Oh, fantastic. I think there's, there's, there's tremendous dedication uh, amongst the people of Issaquah to, to, to support small businesses. Yeah. So, yeah, I am tearing up. You are tearing yeah, up. Because, uh, <laughs> a lot of small business owners maybe have some kind of a, a dream of what mm-hmm. they want to do. You have mm-hmm. some vision. And most small businesses don't don't succeed. Right. But for us, like since 2020, and then since we've opened up shops here, it's it's gone way better than we ever could have imagined. Oh, amazing. But you know that's only only possible if people come out. Yep. And if they tell their friends. Yep. And uh, with you know with the support of the community, so Issaquah has proved to be uh, just. Just a tremendous place to be a small business owner. I hope you never. It's been, a dream, it's been a dream come true. I hope you never outgrow us. I don't. You know. I don't. <laughs> you know, we only use this one type of cocoa bean from this yep. one place, um, and that's what we're dedicated to doing. Yeah. Like we we could try to grow real. We could try to grow our business really fast by bringing in other varieties, but that's not who we are. Yeah. Fortunato is a real guy. Yeah. Right. So like we can't. We wouldn't be a Fortunato chocolate unless we were using this one type of cocoa bean. And there's a strict upper limit to how how fast we can grow. And just, I, I just, I, I don't think we're supposed to be more than a, like a special Issaquah yeah. company. So if people want to come get some fortunate chocolate, they got to come into Issaquah yeah. and see us. I don't, I don't think we're going to really go much, much further than Issaquah. We'll just be a classic so, Issaquah company. That's the game plan. Adam, I think you know this is an amazing story, but this is my first time hearing this whole story. And people will watch and listen to you and your story and be inspired. And I... I I think this is a catalyst for more entrepreneurs, creative spirits to to learn a, a great lesson from you about the patience, the number of pivots you had to make. And, you know, you're it's for a person who's been involved with the city so long and it's so in love with this community like you are, I'm so glad you're here. Oh well, I, I thank I thank you very much. Yeah, and, and for all the people out there who 
agreement of starting a business, yeah, it, it's it's going to take five to ten years. Yeah, and start small. There's, there's the I, I there's there's a security guard over at the Isquah Commons. Yeah, he's a big guy. He's a real <laughs> big guy, and he wants to start a clothing business. Yep. For for big for big for big people, and um, I told him just start with a couple hundred bucks, make some yeah. clothes, see see if you can sell those, and then go up to a little bit more. And just over the years, little by little, you can grow it. But there's nothing really stopping anybody from taking a shot with a couple hundred bucks. You can do that, but don't don't take a second mortgage on your house and invest your entire life. Hey, start slow, serve the people who are in your community, and, and little by little, one step at a time. I think just about anybody with a dream, with a dream could, could definitely start the business, especially here in Nissaquah, where the people are so supportive. So there that, you go. That is amazing advice to end us off today. Thank you so much you for, for me. joining me on Uniquely Issaquah. And like I said, we're so glad we have you in town. And thank you for having me.